You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Yes, at that time on the E of the evening where you join us on your popular show, Legal. You know, I did so many shows, people are nearly get tongue-tied there. Legal Talk, and uh, inshallah, this evening on Legal Talk, I will be joined by uh, Advocate uh, Muhammad Salim Khan, Senior Counsel. And alhamdulillah, we're going to have a powerful discussion and, you know, some of the issues uh, that we're thinking of is, uh, yes, uh, you've guessed right, the issues of uh, Palestine. And alhamdulillah, um, you know, our senior counsel said, you know, Shafat, the massacre of Gaza, what are we doing, you know, to stop it? What is the Ummah doing to stop it? And many can see that uh, when uh, this killing and the maiming, the murder, the genocide is taking place, those Muslim countries around have done Absolutely nothing. Senior counsel advocate Muhammad Salim Khan. How are you doing this evening? Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah. Very well by the grace of Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Alhamdulillah. You know, you are busy besides, uh, you know, in your profession, well known. I mean, Adunya Baad, the Mashur Hayab. And also, you know, when it comes uh, to uh, uh, activism, you're there in the forefront as when there's an issue to be made. I mean, uh, you are someone that, that doesn't make issues out of tissues, but it has to be a genuine case. And there you are in the forefront of taking it up. And Alhamdulillah, you know, I recall you. As a young man, very young man, identified by none other than one of our greatest da'is this country ever produced, Sheikh Ahmad Dida, Rehmullah. He took you to London, I think, and I don't know, it was Anish Sarosh, and there you were the chairman of the meeting, Alhamdulillah, no, recalling that and having, the, you know, you're a young man indeed, you just, I think you graduated from university as a lawyer, and there he identified you and took you to London. Can you recall that moment, um, Senior Counsel? Yes, it was. It was. It was uh, very enlightening. Um, Shafat Ahmed uh, Didat uh, Marhum uh, was a man of distinction, and he perhaps was one of the very good examples of the distinction between schooling and education, and his example illustrates that one does not have to have formal schooling to be educated. He was, he was a truly educated person, an orator of note, um, and very articulate, notwithstanding the fact that he had had all of some two or three years, I think it was, at, at uh, formal schooling education, the way we know it today. And uh, yes, we went to the Royal Albert Hall. We lived in uh, uh, London. And um, I remember there was uh, Shafat Khan there as well, who was very active uh, in matters Islamic. And there, there Ahmed Didad debated with Anish Sharosh. And uh, as usual, you know, he, his, his, his debates, his uh, orat- oratory skills were were, were very educative. His uh, the knowledge which he imparted was very educative. Uh, he won a lot of hearts. There was major support, and most important of all, he imparted by the grace of Almighty Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, educative and educational uh, aspects and, and 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 lessons from which people derive benefits. 
You know, uh, Advocate Saab, one thing about him, I mean, uh, later on I joined him and the person you're talking about was Shamshad Khan. And I know you love me, I love you. That's why we mention each other's name quite often. But uh, yes, uh, Shamshad Khan ran uh, the IPCI <laughs> in, in, in that part of the world. But uh, also, you know, when we looked at the uh, at Amadi that he conscientized the world at a time, you know, we in South Africa didn't even know what was uh, Palestine about, what was Gaza, what was happening there. And there was Amadi that, you know, right writing book just like uh, Arab-Israel conflict or, you know, uh, conflict or reconciliation and so forth and bringing down Paul Finley and, you know, having competitions and the first intifada. I mean, there was a man, as you said, you know, uh, he had uh, no formal education, as you said, he didn't go to university. I think the most he went to was grade eight of today or standard six, or maybe it was a standard five, which they will call grade seven. But there he was, you know, conscientizing the world about Palestine and you and, and you know, his clips are even uh, spread and, you know, many share it around the globe. And it's amazing that his current today as it, as it was yesteryear. Your thoughts on that? Yes, for example, Anish Sharosh. And it's, it, it's, it's um, peculiar in a sense. Anish Sharosh was a Jew. He's late now. Uh, he, he was a Jew. But he recited the Quran um, with Tajweed uh, in such a manner that a listener would think that this is someone who has had training in 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 in, uh, in tajweed in recitation of the quran and majid and and there was this debate um, essentially um, a comparison between uh, shari and the islamic belief and the jewish belief and as i indicated when anish Sharish commenced with with his presentation those who did not know ahmad didat um, you know, his, his, from his appearance, might, have been, might very well have been mistaken and they might have thought, but for the introduction that you were Anish Sharosh, that he's Ahmadida because of, of his presentation. But yes, you know, it was phenomenal because the thoughts which, which Sheikh Ahmadidat uh, imparted then were those which are very topical today, very relevant today, and the amazing thing, Shafat, was, you know, I traveled to the United States and I did a, a course on international law at the University of Georgetown. And I recall walking into uh, a supermarket on one occasion and there was a person, and I can't remember which nationality he was. He wasn't uh, American. He was from one of the Arab countries. But I walked in there. And he recognized me from one of Ahmed Didat's tapes. And he had a tape. He had a video that was um, that was running at the time. And he pointed to Ahmed Didat and says, you know, you've, you've chaired uh, one of his meetings. And he, he was able to identify which meeting it was. You know, Ahmed, uh, Sheikh Ahmed Didat was known in the United States. I mean, in, in Saudi Arabia. And people still speak of him. You say South Africa. And, and the Arabs say Ahmed Didat. And they say Nelson Mandela. These are the two figures uh, who they identify with uh, South Africa. So, yeah, he was a phenomenal person. And, and he had such a beautiful sense of humor. He was such a good person. Um, and and uh, it was such a pleasure being with him, you know. It was uh, such a learning experience for me.
Yeah, it was a moment in time for you, and Alhamdulillah, I recall that because subsequently, you know, when I joined him, uh, I had the privilege of being the editor of the Al Burhan. I traveled with him quite extensively, and Alhamdulillah, the rest is history. And, you know, I've also written a book on Sheikh Ahmadi that my golden handshake. So, you know, we have been maybe, you know, inspiration coming from you. I mean, you, you know, as a young lad, I looked up to you and Alhamdulillah. And it's such a, you know, this evening to be in your company also, you know, it gives me such a pleasure. And, you know, moving on and talking about this topic, perhaps you know, on the side and someone may ask you how, you know, legal is uh, Israel, how really is it legal, is it illegal, we know it's an apartheid state, we know it's a Zionist state, if that question was posed to you as someone in the fraternity of, uh, you know, being in the legal field, how would you react to them? Well, Shafat, at a very basic and grassroots level, the Palestinians, our brothers and sisters, mothers, daughters in Palestine were such absolutely generous people at a time when the Jews were rejected by the world and they were the victims of the Holocaust and they were in search of a place to settle temporarily. Remember, they were in search of a place to settle temporarily because no one would give them permanent abode. There were a large group of people, and the Palestinians welcomed them in the thought and belief that they would in due course be moved to their own territory, to their own lands, uh, and, and where they would be able to live in peace with others. In true Islamic spirit, this is what Sharia is all about, the sacrifice which the Palestinians showed. But the ingratitude which their sacrifice was met with is so intensely negative, Shafat, that one thinks in terms of the capacity of human beings to rise to the level of angels, but on the opposite side of the spectrum, to fall to depths of degradation. The Zionists have fallen to such depths. Their conduct is such, so, so, so inhuman, so despicable, so repulsive, that even if I said they've fallen to depths of degra- degradation, I'd not been doing, I would not be doing justice to their conduct. Now, Shafat, yes, indeed, they are, as they stand at present, illegal occupants of Palestine because they were they were to have stayed there temporarily and thereafter moved and established on some other territory. But their accomplices in this crime are the UK and the United States, the United Kingdom and the United States. Now just some some basic history. We hear on texts that one receives via WhatsApp, on interviews, etc., the claim by some Zionists that the October 7th incident was a brutal assault. I, I, I read this on a recent post. 
is described as a brutal assault. So what they do, what they focus on in an isolated manner is what happened on the 7th of October. Mm. This is highly It is nothing, nothing more than crass, fraudulent misrepresentation. It's intentional, an intentional attempt to mislead people and to mislead the thought processes. In essence, in essence, what occurred on 7th October 2023 is conduct which is admirable. What did the Palestinians do? What did Hamas do? Well, they had been so oppressed. They were so absolutely suppressed. Just picture this, my dear brothers and sisters. Just picture this. Living on a land which you owned, which belonged to you, but on which you cannot even fish without a permit. Permits are issued to allow people to fish, and these permits are issued to the Jews. When Palestinians apply for it, there are obstructionist policies that prevent them from getting it. So there's, there's the opportunity to fish, but there's no permit to fish. You want to establish or set up a business, you have to apply for a business license and a permit. And you apply and you're rejected. And there are obstacles placed in, 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 in your way. So you cannot even earn a living. You're frustrated. You are enslaved. You need to work for Jews and earn a pittance. And even when you try to travel to your place of work, there's so many obstacles, there's so many barriers, there, there are so many posts that you've got to go past, and there are long queues, and you're subjected to abuse. And then, when there are negotiations with regard to the recognition of a Palestinian state, what do the Zionists do? They immediately establish settlers or settlements on Palestinian territory. They encroach. They've already taken so much of Palestinian land away, but they now encroach further onto Palestinian territory and Palestinian land, and they establish settlements there and settlers there. Why? Because during the course of negotiations, when the Palestinians say, well, let us draw the boundary here, they'll say, no, but we can't draw the boundary there. We've got to draw the boundary further in Palestine because we've got so many people living on this territory. How bad these people were and are. Now, that, and I'm, 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 Furnishing you with the briefest of summaries here, mm. uh, Shafat. If I was to do justice to this, I'll need a whole night. Gee. Now, subject to all these atrocities, and these and these settlers who had established themselves on Palest on Palestinian land were many of them by nature highly ruthless, and they were motivated by the Zionists. So they walked in and they killed people, they murdered people, and they didn't meet with what anyone is expected to meet, with the sanctions of law imposed for the commission of this type of crime, they escaped with impunity. I remember one post which, which I read and, and, and which, which I viewed, uh, a video, and, and there there is a Palestinian woman who's appealing to her neighbors. She says, but you are my neighbor. 
how can you force me out of my own home and my own territory? And his response is, well, my sister, I'm your neighbor. And I've known you and I've been friendly with you. But if I don't do it, some one of the other Jews are going to do it. So I might as well benefit from you and you might as well let me have the benefit of this being your friend rather than someone who is who is unknown to you. Now that's the degree of their degradation. I mean, they are absolutely base to these Zionists. And, and, you know, there's, there's, there's no other way to describe it, uh, Shafat. This is their, their, their conduct. And they will mislead. They'll attempt to mislead people into believing and into accepting that the incident of October 7th was a brutal assault and that justifies the atrocities, the brutality, the murders which they're perpetrating. Now look, October 7th was nothing more than a tactical maneuver in order to take hostages. Why? Because of all the Palestinians who are being subjected to atrocities in these Zionist prisons and Zionist holdings where the conditions are, are, are barbaric. They're inhuman. I mean, even compared to to, to Roman times when when prisoners were, were kept under deplorable, held under deplorable conditions. I mean, this beats all odds. But then you have the opposite side of the coin. You know, the Palestinians have risen to such heights. I mean, so many of them have been martyred. There's so many of them who are shaheed. I mean, it is phenomenal to see this type of human endurance, this type of, of sabr this type of patience, this type of iman and dedication to the Islamic cause, Allahu Akbar, it makes me proud. Shafat, it brings tears to my eyes. Alhamdulillah, it you know. It makes me proud to say I'm Muslim. And as a result of the sacrifice of, of these brothers and sisters, so many people have reverted to Islam. You know, Allah as human beings, as human beings, we see it as murder, we see it as loss of life, we see it as pain. But, you know, really, the truth of the matter is this, and our beloved Prophet Muhammad Rasulullah has explained it to us. He's told us, he's taught us that the martyr does not suffer pain. He experiences but a pinch. And, you know, there are a number of examples which, which have been relayed to us of people having dreams where a little child is telling his mother. When the ch mother asked the child who, 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 who passed on, who, who was martyred in a bombing incident, and the mother asked the child when she sees him in the dream, how are you, my baby? And, and he says, Ma, I was running. I remember I was running. And then, Ma, I remember I felt a pinch. And then I continued running, but I realized I was running in Jannah. Hmm. Alhamdulillah. Allah. So you see, Shafat, the true picture is this. The true picture is these brothers and sisters who have been martyred have felt a pinch and they're there in Jannah enjoying the benefits. We see it from a human perspective and we see the blood and we see the bodies and we see people who are maimed. And, but remember, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is most merciful. But by the grace of Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the patience and the endurance which little children have shown, which adults have shown, this is absolutely phenomenal. So you see, Shafat, um, there was a letter, and you, you probably, your attention was, was drawn to what we were doing. Uh, uh, was, 
when when you read this letter that was sent to the prime minister um, that is Rishi Sunak of 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 England and also uh, James Cleverly, an MP and uh, Secretary for State, etc., etc., and others, and also sent to King Charles, um, care of the Prime Minister. And in that letter, and that letter is on the letterhead of Vicus van Rensburg Attorneys, who is an, a firm of attorneys uh, situated in Port Elizabeth, and you know, who have identified with this cause, with the Palestinian cause, with the Muslim cause, and who's extended himself to assist. And with a, with a fellow advocate, uh, uh, that is uh, Brother uh, Shahid, and um, Shahid uh, has also extended himself, uh, that is Advocate Shahid Patel. And I think, Shafat, I must tell you, Mm. Who the others are, Gee. and I'll tell you what has actually achieved. It's phenomenal. There's there are a number of attorneys: Aisha Wahed, Dawood Adam, Farzana Mia, Kuben Chetty, Marius Kotsa, Muhammad Jogi, Raj Daya, Muzammil Ahmad, Ashraf Muhammad, Zenobia Khan, Mahdia Patel Mansur, Nabila Mullah, Saif Khan, Jolene Brown, Fozia Khan, Tasneem Frederick, Sadia Ghani Ismail, Tasneem Parak, Nash Fandayar. Vikas van Rensburg, Advocate Shahid Patel, Advocate Mujahid Sandan. Uh, there's also uh, uh, others who have who are coming on board and who've who've come on board. And there's also uh, senior advocate um, uh, Aslam Bawa, who's offered his services. I am part of the group, and you know, we have formed a group that is becoming formidable. And they're dedicated to one cause, that is use the legal mechanisms and lawfully indict these perpetrators. And who are the perpetrators? Well, the one letter has gone off to uh, to England and, and, and to these people I've referred to. And we say there in the letter, we say, we hereby place the government of the United Kingdom, the British government, on notice that we intend to bring legal proceedings against the British government based on overwhelming evidence that the British government allegedly has and is aiding, abetting, or in some or other way supporting, encouraging, or providing material assistance and means to Israel and the Israeli Defense Forces, enabling them to engage in international crimes against the Palestinian people, resulting in, amongst other, displacement of the Palestinian people from their homes and property, destruction of the Palestinian property, theft of Palestinian land to the ongoing and current war crimes, crimes against humanity, genocide, intentional killing of innocent civilians, including children and the elderly. And we go on and on and on. I mean, it's a letter that spans, I'll tell you, I have it before me, uh, quite a number of pages that actually spans 10 pages of type, uh, you know, where reference is made to the historical development of how England was complicit in settling uh, the Jews on Palestinian land, and it goes back to the time of Arthur Balfour. Yeah, Balfour and, Declaration. Uh, that's right. Um, also, Lionel uh, Walter Rothschild, I mean, their involvement, hmm. uh, etc. So, you know, Britain has been complicit in this, and the amazing thing is this. Look at the contradiction here. I mean, where, where does one even begin to think of human honor, dignity, 
where does one even begin to think of what legacy am I going to be leaving behind? I am the prime minister of one of the world's powers, uh, Britain, sometimes known as Great Britain, Rishi Sunak. What kind of a legacy am I going to be leaving behind when I say words to the effect, well, if lives are going to be lost, let them be lost, words to that effect. How does one justify something to that effect? How does one be influenced in matters pertaining to thousands and thousands of human lives by greed, by considerations of, of, of financial loss? For example, within an hour of BP announcing that they will desist from delivery of of, of, of fuel and oil, etc., etc., whatever it is that, that they're delivering, because of the assaults upon their ships en route to their destinations, Sunak announces and calls uh, vigorously for ceasefire. Why? Because there's going to be loss of, of, of um, uh, profits, uh, financial considerations. But when when, when thousands of lives are being lost, that's not a consideration. I mean, this is, this is deplorable conduct. So my attitude and the attitude of our group and the names uh, of, of, of members, which I've just read out, and others who are going to be joining in, is all those responsible for this must be indicted. And there will come a time when sanity prevails. You know, right now, the phase is one of insanity. Mm. People are trying, these people, I'm talking about the United States, um, uh, Britain, uh, France, uh, Israel, Germany. are trying uh, to pass off misrepresentations as the truth. The world knows that these are misrepresentations. You know, psychologically, when one repeatedly relies on misrepresentations, then after a while, one begins to believe those misrepresentations. And one will then defend those misrepresentations with the, with, with the vigor and conviction as if they were the truth. And this is precisely what you see. I mean, recently there was this, uh, this joint um, meeting of the uh, Israeli, I think it was a defense minister and, 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 uh, or someone associated with defense and um, someone from England. I just uh, caught a glimpse of, of that post. And what were they doing? They were justifying these atrocities that have been perpetrated. And what were they relying on? 7th of October. This is what they were relying on. Not talking about what brought about the 7th of October, how any human being would react after decades of, of suppression and oppression, and where it is quite clear that death is better than life, that those are the conditions to which they've been subjected, that they will respond and react. So this letter that has been written off under the letterhead of Vickers von Rensburg attorneys and in which uh, Shahid Patel um, was um, very, very active um, and um, which, which has been sent off and which we expect um, will elicit um, the response that there was this brutal assault, as Britain has been doing now, generally speaking. There's been this brutal assault and, and uh, it's unpardonable.
and uh, Israel has reacted and responded to that, and they trivialized the loss of all those lives. But there will come a day, and this is in the near future, where they will be answerable for this, and the world is not going to allow them to rest. And I'm talking about the good in the world, because the good always prevails over the evil. So here it is, the letter of demand, and a further letter of demand will be sent to all these people, the Prime Minister, etc., etc., and other representatives of, of Britain. The United States uh, will be next, followed by France. Uh, Israel will also be addressed. And these demands will be made, and these demands will be there. And these demands will form part of the annals of history in the future as demands that were made. And those demands have to be complied with. And there is the International Criminal Court, and there are international courts of justice. At present, they're inactive because they're under the control of the United States, pri primarily, and others. But there will come a time when they will no longer be under the control of the United States. And all these perpetrators will have to answer the charges and indictments against them for their misconduct. They will not escape. And... Shafar, they will do well to take stock of their conduct mm. and to make reparation because the claim for damages from the dependence of all those who've, who've lost um, their members of their family, amount, and these powers together, if they called powers, if they can be called powers, will have to reconstruct Gaza and reconstruct the section of Palestine which they've destroyed. So they are penny-wise and pound-foolish. And perhaps Britain should take take note of this this uh, this phrase, penny-wise and pound-foolish, because that's where it hails from. That they are wreaking the type of destruction which they will have to repair. So they are now destroying things which they will have to spend good money to repair. You can well imagine the reaction of their citizens. Because it will, it will, the monies will come from the taxes which citizens pay. That's where the states up, state obtains the, the money from. So they will have to spend the money of their citizens in order to make reparation for all the damage that is done. And, and the claims will be not, not only be for loss of support by dependents, but for, for um, damages associated with repairing, um, and compensation for losses, and, in short, for reconstructing Gaza. Mm. So, Shafar, the position, the, 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 the position is they will do well to take stock. And the more we tell them, the greater the, 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 the likelihood that they will sit and think about the fact that they are cutting off their noses, literally cutting off their noses to spite their faces. Because they are going to have to pay for all the damage and destruction which, which they are now subjecting innocent people to, the Palestinians. Now, Shafar, the topic which you've chosen is what are we doing about this? And the listeners will obviously feel some degree of regret when they hear the question, well, what are we, members of the public, doing about the South African public, doing about addre <coughs> addressing 
the suffering which our brothers and our sisters, our mothers and our children are undergoing. These are part and parcel of our family. I mean, look at them. That little child whom you see in hospital suffering, those little babies whose bodies you see there could very well be our children and our little brothers and our little sisters. Those men, those women could be our mothers and our fathers and our sisters and our wives. Just think about it, my dear brothers and sisters. Focus on it momentarily. Cast your mind, drive your mind into this scenario. See yourselves there. Then reality dawns. Then we begin to appreciate. We can't deal with this at arm's length. This is us. We are suffering. We are part and parcel of that whole of that whole. We are part of this tree that is being destroyed. So Shafat, what can we do? Well, the number of things we can do, Shafat. For one, and I've said um, previously, I was, it might have been an interview with you as well, where I said, mm-hmm. for one, boycott all, all Jewish products. And all those companies and groups that support these Zionists and Zionism. And it might occur to people that that's insignificant and that is trivial, trivial, it is not. It has a phenomenal effect on the producers of these products. And it has a phenomenal effect on the economy and the income of these different countries that are involved. You know, I was told about complaints from, for example, members of staff at Woolworths, where members of staff said, you know, we are not being afforded uh, the same number of hours of work that we had before, because the customers, the number of customers have dwindled substantially. So here, look at this. And that's just from people not going to Woolworths. Now, if one was to boycott the, all the other products, and there are a number of posts that are circulating, which are identifying these different products. And they're alternative products which one, one can, can use. There are oil companies which you can patronize. I mean, we all need petrol and diesel. But go to those oil companies, go to those service stations, which are not on that list. The same with everything, with clothing. Foods, everything, um, fruit. So one, boycott those products and do it. Do it intensely and do it sincerely and know that 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 is your contribution. That is part of your contribution. That is your jihad. To the extent that you encounter, experience some degree of inconvenience, that is your jihad. That is the first thing. Secondly, speak out against these atrocities. We have to speak out against them. We have to make our voices heard. We have to send off letters like the ones we're doing. Join groups. For example, this the, the group which has now developed into what was a chat group that commenced by chatting on uh, uh, via text messages. That is, it calls itself ICC Israel, a chat group which has now developed into an activist group um, and which is now actioning the matter from a legal perspective. Here's the letter that's gone up. There was a letter that went off previously. Then, 
What else can one do? So you speak out against these, these atrocities. You make it known publicly that these atrocities, and you will not countenance, and you will not tolerate the misrepresentation. When you encounter the excuse that October 7th was a brutal assault, and that culminated in uh, reprisals from Jews, and they had to defend themselves, know it as lies, and make it clear to everyone who's, who's, who's trying to disseminate this these misrepresentations, that it's lies, it's misrepresentation. Soon enough, it will indignify them. And in the very least, they will be embarrassed to use this as an argument or as an excuse. Because that would be a cliche and, and, and one which would have been dispatched by them and shown to be nothing other, other than fraudulent misrepresentation. Fraud is where one intentionally misrepresents with the intention of occasioning someone else prejudice. And this falls squarely within the ambit of the crime of fraud. Although one might not action it in a court of law at this stage, but there will probably come a time when it might very well be action. Now, for those who want to contribute more, contribute financially, assist, because that weaponry that you see, which Hamas is using, costs money. And that money comes from different people throughout the world. There are, there are people who are contributing. And there are ways and means of these monies reaching them. It's reaching them. They have the arms. Um, and what I've ident identified, though, Shafat, is this. It's a matter of logic. It's a matter of common sense. And people ask me, well, you know, how was it that I was able to reason this out? I said, no, it's just a matter of logic. It's a matter of common sense. Look at all the video footage that's circulating. And you'll see from this that the point of weakness in the Hamas attack against the Zionists was a weakness in responding to the air attacks. If Hamas had anti-aircraft weaponry, you know, sort of missile launchers, missiles, etc., etc., which they could have used to attack these attacking planes with, those planes would have would have been shot down in the air. That would have discouraged those attacks. And, you know, Allah subhanahu knows best. We live and we die at the will of our, our beloved Allah subhanahu But, you know, Allah subhanahu knows best. Uh, we say lives would have been saved, but we know that, you know, moth is said by Allah subhanahu The time for moth is said by Allah subhanahu We go when we go. But all I'm saying is the, the, the defense of Hamas would have been a little more effective against, against these airplanes. But for the few, present and for the future, if... Hamas can be armed with anti-aircraft weaponry. Brothers and sisters out there, focus. You want to assist, do something to arm Hamas with weaponry that can be used against aircraft attacks. Those aircraft will be shot in the air, shot down to the ground and, and, and shot to shreds. So they will not be able to bomb innocent, unarmed civilians men, women who are unarmed, little babies, little children, Shafat. Now, how would one do this? How would one achieve this? Well, Shafat, you know, when people say that Muslim countries and all the Arab states are not assisting, you know, I think there's got to be assistance going from somewhere. And Yemen can only assist so much. Yemen is not a very wealthy country. Um, 
there must be assistance going, assistance going to, to Hamas and, and to Palestine. Uh, and there would have been assistance to enable Hamas to have armed itself the way it has done. It does have some sophisticated weaponry. Uh, there are certain deficiencies from my observation. But I'm sure there's assistance um, to which uh, is secretive. So you know, let's find what, what the course is. How is it that assistance is still flowing in? And let's find the course. And if it's necessary to assist financially, let's assist financially. Because it is assisting people, innocent people, to defend themselves against these ruthless and murderous attacks. And if we can assist to arm them with, with anti-aircraft weaponry, let's do so. So I'm putting the thought out there, and you use the thought, and you implement it, if you can implement it. Now, what is a position from the legality, from the law? People would ask Shafat, now, look, can we go and fight in Palestine? Can we go to Gaza? Can we get into Gaza? And can we join Hamas? And can we fight against these ruthless Zionists? Well, you might have read posts on um, President Ramaphosa warning and cautioning the Jewish committee, uh, community against going to Israel and joining the Israeli army and forces because that's illegal. Now, indeed, that is that is the case. One cannot take one cannot take up arms against even uh, a, a a foreign country that is an oppressor without obtaining the requisite consent and permission to do so. Uh, one cannot participate or engage in military activity or interaction. Uh, unless you follow the proper course. Now, there is the Regulation of Foreign Military Assistance Act. It's Act 15, I'll say it again. Regulation of Foreign Military Assistance Act 15 of 1998, which provides that no person may, within the Republic of South Africa or elsewhere, recruit, use, use or train persons for or finance or engage in mercenary activity, render foreign military assistance to any state or organ or state or group without authorization from the National Convention. Now, the requisite permission. So, to assist, for example, to send funds through to Palestine, to Gaza, or to other countries for the purchase of, let's say, anti-aircraft weaponry. And one is desirous of doing this lawfully, and one is encouraged to do this lawfully. And there are ways and means in which this can... You see, sections 4 and 5 of the Act which I've referred to, uh, that is the Regulation of Foreign, foreign Military Assistance Act 15 of 1998, provide for an application for authorization. So we can apply to the state. It is the Department of Defense and, and um, um, also the special committee that has been formed, that is the National Convention. Uh, one can make application. 
Redwood Sections 4 and 5 provides for the application and what the requirements are for the application. Section 11 of this Act provides for, for an exemption of applicants from complying with Sections 4, 5, 4 and 5. Sections 4 and 5 set out the requirements. Section 7 also deep with that. But if one wants to deal with this in a hurried manner, because there is the emergency now, then one can, in terms of Section 11 of this Act, apply for an exemption from these sections and can apply for permission or consent to assist financially for the Palestinians, for Hamas, being equipped militarily through um, through the supply of finances. For example, if one is able to identify, and I'm just giving this as an example, if one identifies any country that might be prepared to assist. Let's just take any country at random. Uh, let's take Turkey, for example. Should Turkey be in a position to assist militarily and provide Hamas with anti-aircraft weaponry? Funds can be supplied for this if one applies and obtains the requisite consent to provide funding to enable the victims of this oppression to equip themselves adequately to be able to defend themselves against these oppressors. Make, we can make the application. We can motivate the application. Already the state president and indeed the government has indicated its revulsion at the brutality which Zionists are perpetrating in, in Gaza. So that being the case, there's an acknowledgement that there is a cause. There's an acknowledgement that we must associate ourselves with the cause as the South African government has done. What is the next step from that? The next step is now do something to concretize your commitment to this cause. What are you doing? You are publicizing the fact that you find this conduct repulsive. Now do something more positive, concretize this, and in the very least, allow us as concerned citizens who align ourselves with the cause of our brothers, sisters, mothers, children in Gaza to contribute. Once we acquire that consent, and I can't see the state refusing this, because if they do, it will be contradictory to the stance which they've, they've adopted thus far. And I don't expect they will do so, because... I see their cause as a sincere one. You know, there's mm. no benefit which derive from a political perspective. They are just adopting the right and the good stance in the matter. And I'd like to see it as that. And I appreciate it. And that's why I'm saying it publicly. So yeah. then they must also associate with the struggle yeah. by allowing those who wish to assist in view of the fact that they are not assisting beyond raising objections. They're not assisting in in an effective manner, surely they can allow others to assist. We can then go on a financial drive, isolate a country, and we don't have to publicize it, whichever country it is, or countries that can actually assist. We pay for that weaponry, and that weaponry is then supplied to Hamas. Hamas is then able to deal with these air attacks. They're contending admirably with the tank attacks. I mean, they've destroyed so many tanks. They are, they are coping adequately with... Uh, with uh, sort of uh, man-to-man -man combat. 
and um, and we see now uh, posts relating to Netanyahu not so long ago having having experienced um, two blackouts in the same day, and according to the post, he was begging the Egyptian government to intervene and to try and facilitate a ceasefire. And Hamas's stance has been the correct one. And I think this is something which we need to realize and appreciate. When someone speaks and thinks in terms of ceasefire, and when someone says, well, let's have a ceasefire, and why are the Palestinians, why is Hamas not agreeing to a ceasefire? View it from this context, uh, Shafat, and my dear brothers and sisters. No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, you uh, brought in a preamble there and uh, something, you know, I wish you all the best. And perhaps, uh, you know, I could suggest uh, with a lot of money just to fire one missile, a couple of million uh, dollars. And also Russia is in the uh, in the game of having this, uh, you know, the uh, Iron Dome thing, how to counteract that and to bring planes down and so forth. Um, even Egypt has, I mean, not Egypt, our Turkey has the uh, capability. But inshallah, maybe, you know, the thoughts that you have, very noble indeed. Uh, may Allah make it easy. But, uh, you know, as uh, you know, we advertised your program, we had uh, many people sending in questions. And one of them came from uh, Shabir Desai. And he wanted to know, he says, uh, please ask a senior counsel, how do I reply to these people when they keep on questioning us? Your people like Piers Morgan and uh, Jordan P uh, Peterson and many other talk show hosts, they keep on saying, do you condemn Hamas? Do you condemn what happened on the 7th of October? Do you condemn Hamas as a terrorist organization? But they will not say a thing about Israel, which has been doing this for the past 75 years. And it's uh, the 7th of October is as if it had started then. I know it hasn't started. Uh, it didn't start then. But uh, I know senior counsel will give us an answer that may be the mother of all answers. Uh, Advocate Saab, this guy got a lot of confidence in you. How would you answer uh, them? I mean, how would you give them a rebuttal? They keep on taking you to the point of saying, do you condemn Habas? You say uh, Hamas is a terrorist organization. What they did on the 7th was evil. They beheaded people. They did this and that. How would you answer, if you were asked that question, how would you have answered these people? Shafaz, the answer to that is simpler than you think. Let me ask a few simple and basic questions. So I will respond by asking a few basic and simple questions. And first is, should someone be perpetrating an atrocity against you where they're threatening your life and they have murdered members of your family, your friends, your neighbors, innocent people, would you under those circumstances be entitled to act in self-defense? Now, the question, the answer to that has to be yes, because throughout the world and no matter which country you're in, self-defense under appropriate circumstances is recognized. So Hamas acted in self-defense. Firstly, why? Because the Zionists continued perpetrating heinous crimes, murder, rape, assault, oppression, driving people into conditions that rendered them so hopelessly useless 
that they elected to choose death rather than living. Because you see, Shafa, I will tell whoever it is who tries to indict me with, with this 7th of October nonsense. Mm. I will tell them it is documented internationally that there was all this oppression, that there was this suppression, that there are a number of hostages, Palestinian hostages in Israeli uh, custody undergoing atrocious conditions. So what Hamas did was to take hostages and in order to exchange these hostages for, for the Palestinian hostages who are in, 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 uh, in atrocious conditions in, in uh, uh, Zionist prisons, firstly. Secondly, they had reached a point of no return, a point where living was difficult. It was becoming difficult to live, to, 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 to eke a living, to, to, to have sufficient to live on was becoming so difficult because the oppression was increasing by the day. They had to act in self-defense. They had to protect their dignity, their livelihoods. They had to protect their lives, their children. People were being murdered. Settlers, settlers were murdering people who were on their land. Shafat, no one, but no one would be able to deny under those circumstances, and I'm talking about documented cases. This is not conjecture. These are not excuses. They're document cases of Zionist atrocities that were perpetrated. Hamas was heroic in what it did. And I promise you, when one documents this, and in future, when people read these historical developments, Hamas will emerge as heroes not as those who perpetrated assaults and brutality. So this is the excuse which these Zionists and Zionist supporters use. 7th of October. 7th of October was a day of self-defense. And perhaps it should go down in history as, as, as that, as a day of, of dignity, a day when the Palestinians through Hamas, responded in some small measure to the atrocities that had been perpetrated. And Shafat, Hamas's conduct is unimpeachable. Look, even today, um, at present, Israel has sent a representative to Egypt. For what? To negotiate further exchange of prisoners. The, the Zionists would never have released those Palestinian prisoners who are in their prisons undergoing all these atrocities. They would never have released them. But now they're prepared to release them. Why? In exchange for the hostages which Hamas took. Wasn't that effective? And, and, those, and those prisoners who are in Jewish um, prisons at present are innocent people. They did nothing. Mm. If someone saw a policeman, someone, someone tried to resist when, when their sister was shot in their presence and they tried to resist, they were grabbed and they were thrown into prison, headlong into prison. So those are innocent people in prison. So what Hamas did was to secure the release of those, those hostages and also to, to try and maintain and restore some degree of dignity to a people who are downtrodden, 
to people who were subjected to abuse and indignity like you and I cannot even begin to imagine. No, absolutely. You know, um, your senior counsel, I can tell you we're running, we're actually running out of time. It was absolutely, you know, a really thoughtful evening with you. A lot of information coming through. Perhaps you need a part two with you. Uh, your parting words this evening? My parting words is, Surely Allah is with the patient and Hamas will win. They will not only win this war, but they will win future wars. This is why America is supporting the Zionists the way it is doing. This is why some of the Arab states are supporting the Zionists the way they are doing. Because they understand that Hamas is driven by one goal, and that is the Islamic goal. And you know, the brigades of, of Hamas consist in the main of Hufaz, the Hafiz al-Quran. These are people dedicated to the cause of, of martyrdom. These are people who are following the Islamic cause. And America sees it, and Britain sees it, and France sees it, and some of the Arabian states see it, that you cannot, you cannot, you cannot subject the Islamic cause to, 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 to restrictions. We will win through, and it is a matter of time. So my parting words are this. Beautiful indeed, uh, Senior Counsel. You have a blessed evening ahead. We'll talk to you soon. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Time for us to go for the Isha Zan, and inshallah we will uh, continue after that.